0: In this episode, I am joined by a fantastic guest, and we're talking about planning a trip to Washington, D.C. One thing I realized recently is that TripHacks, D.C. is four and a half years old. I'm approaching almost 200 travel videos on YouTube and a few dozen podcast episodes. And while I've got travel tips galore, I don't really have anything that ties everything together. That's why I'm excited to have my guest today walk you through his process of how he took everything he learned from watching and listening to Trip Hacks DC and turned that into a trip itinerary. The story behind how I met today's guest is actually pretty interesting. Over Independence Day weekend, he came on the Trip Hacks DC monumental trivia tour with his family. And as I do during all of the tours that I lead, I got a chance to chat with everyone as we were going around the National Mall, which is how I found out that he is a fellow podcaster who co hosts a show about Disney vacations. I listened to a few of those episodes, and even though I'm not much of a Disney buff myself, I knew I needed to have him as a guest on this podcast. So, with that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com podcast. This episode is sponsored by Rope Drop Radio, a Disney travel planning podcast helping you with all things Disney from land to sea. And by travel agent Michelle McKnight, a destination specialist with touring plans. Whether you're thinking about a trip to Disney World, Washington, D.C., or anywhere in between, Michelle has you covered. Check out this episode's show notes for links and details. Today I am joined by Doug McKnight, and we are going to chat about planning the best possible trip to Washington, D.C., Doug is a fellow podcaster and co host of Rope Drop Radio, a podcast by two dads who love Disney. Doug is an expert on Disney parks and Disney cruises, but is also a great travel planner no matter the destination. So, Doug, welcome to Trip Hacks DC. Thanks for having me
1: on, Rob. I'm excited to be here to talk about DC.
0: You're the co host of Rope Drop Radio, which, in my opinion, is quite similar to Trip Hacks DC. In that, you have a ton of great information for people who are planning a trip. Now, you and your family took a Washington, D.C. trip in July, and you posted a bonus episode on your podcast, a bit of a post-trip report. And one thing that I thought was interesting when I listened to it is that you said a trip to Washington, D.C. is similar in a lot of ways to a trip to
1: Disney. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's that's a great one. Yeah, the way it's similar is you got to plan. You can't show up to either place just on a whim without any idea what you're doing. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. You got to plan for both places. The other similarity, especially in the summer, is going to be hot. You're going to get tired and your feet are going to be sore and you're going to be sweaty.
0: The climate in Washington, D.C. definitely feels similar to Central Florida.
1: You know, definitely
0: for a week or two, at least. Now, my hope for this episode is that as someone who does a lot of trip planning yourself... You could kind of walk me and the listeners through your process of planning the trip, and we can all learn from it.
1: Awesome. One of the first things I did was watch a lot of those videos that you mentioned. That's that's number one on the list there.
0: And there sure are a lot of them. So if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't seen any of them yet, you can head over to YouTube.com slash TripHacksDC and see them all there. I want to start by establishing that you traveled as a family of five, so your trip was a bit different than, say, a couple's trip, or a friend's trip, or even a family trip if you are traveling as a family of four.
1: Absolutely. The family of five thing is huge. It changes the whole landscape of picking a hotel. Um, very few hotels sleep five Um You could get two rooms, but most places won't guarantee you connecting rooms. So you kind of want to find that place where five fit. And so that helped on our hotel search because there are a lot of hotels in the D.C. area. And family of five hotels starts the process of narrowing it down for sure.
0: That's interesting because people ask for hotel recommendations all the time, and I have plenty But that's certainly one way to narrow down the huge list of options that we have here. We'll talk about hotels a bit more in depth soon. But first, I want to ask, why Washington, D.C.? Why did you choose to come here for your family vacation this summer? And additionally, why Independence Day weekend of all the dates you could have picked?
1: We had a cruise planned over 4th of July in 2020. That got canceled. And when that got canceled, we just moved it to July, 4th of July of 2021. And then that got canceled. So then we needed to figure out what we were going to do over 4th of July because we really didn't want to be home. And um, we had always talked about we need to go to D.C. We wanted to take our kids to D.C. It had been, you know, 18 years, 17 years since my wife and I had been there. One thing that attracted us to D.C. this time is that, we knew it wasn't going to be very busy um, because the crowds just weren't back. There aren't the tour groups. We weren't going to have to contend with buses of eighth graders. The only eighth grader we were going to have was ours, which, you know, one's enough. Um, And the fact that it was over 4th of July was essentially just the vacation time slot we had already carved out. So that was part of the reason. And, you know, just huge bonus, We got to experience 4th of July at Washington, D.C., which is pretty cool. And of all years to do it, this was probably the most laid-back, chill, calm 4th of July ever.
0: I agree with you. I was here this year for the 4th of July, and it definitely felt a lot more chill than some of the holiday breaks in the past. My personal opinion is that Washington, D.C. is an awesome 4th of July destination, Unlike some of my fellow DC locals, I never go out of town for the holiday, partially because there's a big rush of tour business, but also because I think it's awesome to be here when everyone else is having fun and it feels festive.
1: It still felt like 4th of July. I mean, the, the streets around the mall were still closed. I mean, it was still festive. The fireworks were amazing. You know, it, it was definitely a cool time. And it's something special about being in the nation's capital on 4th of July and experiencing that once we've done 4th of July at Yellowstone, which felt really neat during the day. But then at night there's no fireworks because you know, they don't want it to catch on fire. We've done 4th of July at Disney world, which is a whole nother big thing, which is pretty cool. Um, And then we've even done 4th of July in Paris. So we, we tend to travel over the fourth. So that's part of how we did it. And yeah, the DC 4th of July was pretty cool.
0: So how many days was your trip? And do you feel like you picked the right amount of days? Was it too many or too few? Or was it the Goldilocks?
1: I, I feel like we hit the Goldilocks by, we, we did five nights. Um, we probably could have done one more uh, pretty easily to check a few things off. But five nights was pretty good. It's long enough to accomplish things. Not too long that at the end of the trip, you're too exhausted to enjoy things. That's where the Goldilocks comes in, right? We, there, you could go for a month and not do everything, but you're gonna be exhausted, and it's it is a lot of walking, like I mentioned earlier, and it takes a physical toll. There's heat. There's even if you're two blocks from the metro, you gotta get there and then ride it, and walk after you get to your destination. It's you know it's it's physically taxing. I think five nights was pretty good for us. So the audience
0: knows you are from Nebraska, which is not across Mm -hmm. an ocean or anything, but you're also not going to hop in the family car for an impromptu weekend trip either. So five days is actually what I would have recommended if you had asked me this question before your trip.
1: Yeah. You got to make it worth your, your time. Like see so many people go on these like two or three night trips, like the amount you spend on airfare, you want to get some value out of the length of time you're there. So that's, that's also another good thing to consider. Once you decided you wanted
0: to come to DC and for how many days, what was your process from there? Did you start with flights, hotel? Did you make a big list of activities that you wanted to do?
1: Walk me through what your process was. So we were kind of waiting for our cruise to get canceled, knowing it was coming, but they hadn't officially done it yet. So we had um, flights with Southwest booked because they're refundable, you can move them. So we went ahead and booked our flights, at, but we did not book a hotel until that we got the official, your cruises canceled. Then we booked the hotel. We had narrowed it down to about three hotels and then kind of whichever one. I I don't remember how we decided on that one over the other one. I mean, there were a block and a half apart and $5 difference. Glad we picked what we did, but um, then we kind of picked hotel. Then, you know, the activities, You know, we had been looking at the hours, when things were going to open, because when we were trying to pick D.C., when we were choosing to go there, stuff, the Smithsonian's were not open yet. Like they had just started open um, in May, June. So it was it was one of those things where we were watching that, even though we weren't booked yet. And so we kind of once we knew exactly what days, once we booked the hotel, we were still more than 30 days out. And so once we hit that 30 day mark, we had already made a list of what day and what order we wanted to go to different Smithsonian's because we were in the window where you had to book tickets for everything, um, which was unique. That's already part of the past for the most part, I believe I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was that was kind of the process. Activities was kind of the last thing, but it was still more than 30 days in advance. To put your trip into
0: perspective, you came at a very unique moment. Some things had already started to reopen. Not everything had reopened yet. And both Smithsonian and National Gallery of Art and many of the other museums required timed tickets. Most of them don't anymore. A few do. But during your trip, you did need timed tickets for nearly everything. And that's not really the case anymore. At least not when we're recording this in late August 2021.
1: Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but that also correlates like with Disney. Like we're used to 180 days out in the past having to make dining reservations, so planning things like that was uh, pretty normal for us. I mean, it's what my wife does for a job every morning; she's booking dining for people. So it was interesting that that how that translated over. But I'm glad it's a thing of the past. For everybody, you can be a little more free on the planning, but you still need a plan. You need to look at the hours. And the hours was one of the bigger constraints of our trip there because stuff opened later and closed earlier. Um, So hopefully the hours will continue to expand too, because it made it a lot harder to try to do two museums in a day, Um, which in the end, I think we're all glad we were okay with the short hours. I think that's. the honest truth by the end of the trip
0: let's talk about your flight planning you flew into reagan national airport dca can you talk me through that decision process did you choose that airport because it was the most convenient to the city because it had a nonstop flight because it was the least expensive what were all the variables in play for you
1: so it definitely the most convenient i i highly recommend the convenience of that airport Uh, To just about anybody thinking about traveling to DC. It's just so close. It's it's crazy. Um, You almost, when you fly in, you're kind of almost like, how is this so close? Um, And then for us, we have multiple direct flights to DCA every day from Omaha. So it made it a very easy choice to go to um, the other uh, two airports in the metro. We would have had to make a connection. So land further away with a connection or right there, you know, 15, 20 minutes, we were at our hotel after stepping off the airplane. So that was pretty spectacular. Um, Pretty easy decision. It's where we flew in, you know, 17 years ago, too. So um, we actually did make it out to Dolis to go to the Air and Space Museum. So we got to experience just how far away that is. There will
0: eventually be Metro to Dulles. It was originally delayed to 2019, then 2020, and now it's not going to open in 2021. So there are a lot of people anxiously awaiting that to open. But just because there's a Metro to Dulles doesn't mean that it's going to be a quick ride. It's still going to be a very long ride. DCA, Reagan National, is probably the most convenient airport in the entire country, I have to say. And it sounds like it was an easy choice for you with the nonstop flight options.
1: Yeah, the nonstops and they were very uh nicely priced, very inexpensive. We were it was like win-win, but when you think about what's happening in DC with the lack of business travel, then it makes sense that the flights were inexpensive. We're just glad they're still offering the flights and that hadn't been cut.
0: There are definitely some cities that lost their flight due to COVID, which is unfortunate. Now, when you got into the airport, how did you then get into town? So, we
1: we landed at like 4:30 on a weekday. Um so we did not want to do the metro in that rush hour window with our luggage and our three children. So we did Lyft, I believe, not Uber. I think it was Lyft and uh went that route. It was pretty quick, pretty easy. Um I don't know what a cab would have cost. We walked past some cabs, but we already had called our Uber or Lyft. Um on our way walking out there, but pretty convenient. No problems there. We did going back to the airport. Uh, so we're a family of five. So you have to do the XL and the driver was grumpy that we were five people and had bags. Other than that, we had no problems with that, though. The whole trip we using lift a little bit here and there to help out on getting around.
0: You had a pretty easy ride into town to your hotel. I don't think I've even asked yet,
1: which hotel did you pick? Yes, we stayed at the residence in Capitol Hill. Uh, so it's just south of the mall across the street from the NASA headquarters, uh, you know, because everybody knows where the NASA headquarters is, right? It basically straight south of what the air and space museum type of area or uh, air and space. Yeah, museum, close, yeah. yeah, so close. Just walk straight up. Um, you're right in front of the Capitol. Two and a half, three blocks later, it's was a great great location very close to a metro stop um that we used quite a few times so that was one of the reasons they had a room that was like a it was basically two rooms one had two queen beds the other one had a pull out couch TV table that sort of stuff so it was like a suite so that's why we stayed there and it was essentially the same price as just one longer room um down the street so that was why we stayed there and uh, it worked out really well. It sounds like the
0: factors that mattered, of course, that it could sleep five people since you're a family of five and that the price was right and the location was good.
1: Yeah, that that does break it down pretty good. Yeah, the metro station was important. Being able to walk to the mall was important uh, without it being too taxing. That was because we figured we could walk to the metro to get to other destinations, but just being able to walk to the mall is important, I think, for a, a D.C. trip. It's nice to be able to be out there and then be back to your room fairly quickly. It's just because you want to get off your feet, cool down, hydrate, all those sort of things. But uh, it was it was a great location. Now, if we weren't a family of five, I'm going to be honest, we probably would not have stayed there. There's so many more hotel options north of the mall, on the other side, up near the White House and National Archives, towards the, um, oh, the arena, the Capital One Arena. There's stuff sprinkled all through there that works would have worked great for a family of four, but none of them worked for a family of five. They were all two rooms and like way more expensive than where we did stay, um, but we were pretty happy with with the location.
0: You already preempted my next question, which was going to be, if you were doing a couple's trip or if you were a family of four, would you have chosen another location? And I will say that the area where you stayed is very convenient for pure proximity to the museums and the National Mall. It's not one of the areas on my recommended hotels guide because it's a very businessy area. There are a lot of office buildings around, so unless you're in town on business, you know, meeting with the director of NASA
1: or something, it can be a little dull. Yes. It that was that that is the biggest drawback that's um and you know, we'll talk about food later, but that's that impacted that because we we're in a business travel zone where had we been north of the mall, there was definitely more happening, more tourists in that area. And I know lots of people A lot of people that like to give you advice on how to travel, where to stay, they recommended staying in the suburbs. You get bigger rooms for cheaper, just ride the metro in. Well, right now, the price was cheaper in the business areas because there's no business travel. So it didn't make any sense at this time in 2021 to stay further away have to do a metro ride in for everything because we we went back to the hotel rested you know and then went back out to something very easy where if you were gonna metro in for a while like it's not quite as convenient to go back and forth and with a family of five the two dollar fares do add up compared to walking
0: i actually don't like the generic advice that some people give which is to stay in the suburbs because it's cheaper And because sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And the unsatisfying reality is that it depends. It depends on a lot of variables that most travelers don't really consider, like how many business travelers are going to be in town and where those business travelers are staying.
1: And you know, what was fantastic about not having to get on the Metro was after the 4th of July fireworks, I can't even imagine what that looked like compared to we just walked back to our room. We were back in our room in 10 minutes from the time the fireworks ended.
0: I think you must have watched the Trip Hacks DC video I did about Independence Day tips because a few years back, one of my top tips was to pick a hotel within walking distance of the fireworks so you could just stroll back right after they're done. I'm sure I did. Now, I followed your itinerary because you are very active on social media, and I kind of filled in the itinerary for your family trip, and I liked it. I really liked it because it was a good mix of activities. You had a monuments tour with me. You went to Arlington Cemetery. You went to museums. You attended a major league soccer game one day. Oh, and by the way, people can listen to your trip recap podcast episode if they want to hear all the details. But what I'm curious about from a planning perspective is how did you choose this mix of activities? And then how did you design your itinerary around it?
1: All right. So... Picking it, I knew for sure we wanted to do a monument tour with a local guide before I ever even found your your channel, right? Uh, local guides are phenomenal. You cannot experience things the same way without them. Like We learned so much from your tour that we, we could have gone and looked. We could have walked that same route on our own, right? Totally free, too. We could have walked it. But we wouldn't have gotten the same enjoyment, enlightenment, uh, education, like just immersion. So that was the first thing I wanted to do was find the local guide and then plan from there. However, that was tricky because finding times around holiday weekend was goofy. And then we knew which museums we wanted, but they weren't open seven days a week, five days a week. And so like, it was you had we had a slot in those museums to make sure they were open. And National Archives was one, too, Holocaust, Air and Space out at the airport, and uh, American History and American Art Museum. Those were the ones we ended up at. So that kind of dictated it was what when it was open. Um, then when I could book your tour was another one that dictated it. Um, and then when the soccer game was. So we do soccer games a lot when we travel. Uh, we've gone to, we're Seattle Sounders fans, but we live in Nebraska. So we travel and see them grant. We did not see the Sounders in DC. We actually saw DC in Toronto. Um, and it was a fantastic game. It was a record number of goals scored like DC United scored seven goals that night. So, I mean, you can't ask for anything more fun than that. And, uh, So we go to a lot of professional soccer. We actually saw D.C. play in Utah a couple years ago. When we went to um, Yellowstone, we went to Salt Lake City first, saw Salt Lake play D.C. and fireworks that night. Um, So it just it kind of built itself because of that was the only time we could do it. Um, And then the one day when we went to the uh, museum out at the airport. So we rode the Metro all the way out to Reston which is the last stop. And then we have some friends out in Reston that actually picked us up, took us to the museum, took us around the museum, both him and her. They, they actually worked for NASA for a stretch. So we got to see NASA stuff with former NASA employees. Uh, so that was fantastic. That was our local guide there. And then we hung out with them the rest of the day. But that's kind of how it was built. It was because of the hours of the museum's which hopefully going forward isn't going to dictate your trip quite as much. But I like to mix it up so that we would do like museums, like serious, then something a little more casual fun, then back to serious, you know, more casual fun it. The
0: reason I liked your itinerary so much is because it was a mix. For example, I did an open call for itineraries earlier this year and people sent them to me. And then I reviewed them on a live stream, and some of them were extremely, extremely museum heavy. I'm talking two museums a day for five days in a row.
1: Boy, my kids would have mutinied.
0: And unlike what you described, some people didn't realize the value in mixing the heavier museums with the more casual fun museums, as you described it. And I bring that up because when you put too much heavy stuff back to back, it does get exhausting. And in your trip recap on your podcast, you did say that you experienced some museum fatigue. So can you explain what happened there? So
1: museum fatigue is something that I was – before when we went to Europe, I was very concerned about, worried about for my kids. So we really made sure to intermix it there. And so I think museum fatigue happened only once for us, and it was literally just in the American History Museum and they're like, why is there a whole room full of magnets? You know, it, There was this moment, they all hit the wall. So they we're like, let's go find a cookie. You know, in the one place that was open in the museum that everybody else was trying to find a cookie at at the same time. But the American History Museum is big. There's a lot of things. And some of it's really cool. Some of it's you're kind of like, who is this for? And you walk through it all because you're like, we're here. We're going to do it by golly. And that was like the first big museum we did. And I was like, well, we got museum fatigue off right off the bat, but it turned around after the cookie. Museum
0: fatigue is definitely a real phenomenon. I'm a little sad because the American History Museum is my personal favorite, but I do appreciate that many people go there and only go to the pop culture exhibit. And look at the ruby red slippers and the Burton and Ernie and the Apple II and things from my childhood that are in the museum now. <laughs> the old iPod. And they don't go to the things like stories from Maritime America or The Price of Freedom, which is the wartime exhibit, which can be pretty heavy.
1: Yeah, the kids, I think, enjoyed the wartime stuff. They, they did really well there. The pop stuff, like they saw the Ruby red slippers, like, why does this get its whole a whole room just for these slippers? You know, they weren't quite grasping. So clearly the Ruby red slippers with that generation is starting to not sparkle quite as much. Um, the, there was a few things not open in there. And it seemed like it was the stuff my kids would have liked. Of course. Yeah. The, the ships through history, look look through that and the transportation stuff was interesting and, uh, but we spent a lot of time in the president's area um, and the first ladies, like all the dresses. Um, we, we probably spent too long in there cause there was, they were doing really good. I think we went up there first to try to hit that and work our way back or something. I can't remember. I had a, some ha- half hatched plan in my mind, but uh, we did that and they did, I think we did a little too much of that. And so we burn them out and then, There you go. You got to keep 11-year-olds moving. Now that you've
0: experienced museum fatigue firsthand, do you think that if you were going to redo your
1: itinerary with fewer museums, what would you have replaced them with instead? Well, I think we would have just planned on not trying to see everything in the museum. We we also didn't get natural history museum tickets. Um, They opened those up weird and we missed them. And that's something that we do on other trips. Like in Chicago, we've gone to the Field Museum. And our kids really like that. So they were kind of already bummed we weren't going to the Natural History Museum. So we probably would have just switched that out for something. But like the National Archives, the way they're currently open, where you can't do, I don't know, 80%. A huge chunk of the museum's not open. But you can see the important stuff that was actually probably pretty nice because you got to spend more time looking at the actual documents, the things that really matter in there without forcing them through all the other stuff. So that worked out well. So I, you know, I, and we did the Holocaust museum. The kids did really good with that, that, you know, that's, Starts out pretty slow. Everybody's in a line reading everything. It takes a while before the crowd starts to break up and people start skipping over things. So they did really good there. And that was on our last day. So I think we had enough downtime in there to re-revigorate their their wanting to go to a museum again.
0: Okay, well, I want to change gears a bit because in your trip recap, you said that you are pretty disappointed with our food options and... You had previously mentioned that when you go to Disney World, you make your dining reservations months in advance. Did you have a similar plan with DC or did you come here and just expected that you wouldn't really have to worry about it?
1: Definitely not a plan like at Disney. I mean, I can tell you where I'm eating on October 1st right now. I mean, literally, I know where I'm eating all my meals, like the end of September, beginning of October for Disney World's 50th anniversary. I have I know everything I'm eating. I even know what I'm gonna order. It's a little concerning, but I do. Um, where this was I was just looking at Google Maps and like right, there's a pizza place right next to our hotel. Um, I looked at their website, everything looked good and some places I looked at their websites were gone. I'm like, well, that's a bad sign. but the pizza place was still there and so I'm like, we'll walk. you know everything closed at four or five. so I'm like we come back to the room. We grab some pizza. We eat it in our room. Uh, We don't have to worry about, we have one child that's still unvaccinated because she's only 11. So we didn't have to worry about eating in a restaurant. We grab this pizza, eat it in the room. Well, we get there and the pizza place is shuttered. Like it's not just closed for the day. It's no more. The restaurant around the corner that I was like, well, there's like three sandwich shops around the corner. Well, I knew their hours were all shorter because it is the business district that nothing was open at night in that area. Anyway, I knew that was going to be a challenge because of where we were booked. But uh yeah, the sandwich shop around the corner that looked really good online. The last time it was used was for a vaccination clinic, according to the signs on the door. Uh, and there was no more chairs or anything in it. So we kept striking out. And then like 4th of July weekend, like we would go and like, We went to four different places. Um, This was right after we finished your tour. They all were like, we're closed for the weekend. We're closed for the weekend. Enjoy your holiday weekend. We're closed. (laughs) It was like, what is happening? So we ended up at McDonald's a lot because McDonald's was open.
0: McDonald's is reliable, if nothing else. But I have to say that I'm sad And sorry to hear that this was your experience. I think there were a lot of factors that all kind of came together to work against you this time. Oh, a lot of factors. There's the fact that you stayed in a business district. So even best case scenario in the before times, it might have been a struggle because things close early when people go home from work for the day. And now because a lot of those office workers might still be working from home, the lunch places don't have the foot traffic and they haven't been able to reopen yet. It's almost like two different worlds out there because in my neighborhood, a residential neighborhood, every restaurant is open. And we even had some new restaurants open during COVID. So there are more restaurants now than in 2019. That's the complete opposite from where you were and had a very different experience.
1: Yeah. Two areas we had success was the wharf. Lots of food there. Um, I mean, it was a good walk from our hotel. That's where we ate the first night. We ended up down there. We ate at a steakhouse. I can't remember the name of, but, uh, maybe the wharf grill. I don't know. It had fancy napkins and tablecloths and the kids were like, why are we eating somewhere fancy? I'm like, cause we want steak, be quiet. Um, and then, uh, up around the capital one arena, um, near the American art, you know, there's hard rock cafe and those sort of things. And, um, we ended up at Ann pizza, uh, when I saw one that sign. Favorites. yep. And, uh, it's like, wow, well, we can try this. Rob says it's good. So if the kids didn't like it, the great thing was it was going to be your fault. But uh, so we ended up there. But every everything there, so that was on the 4th of July, and it was 5 o'clock on the dot. So we're like, oh, it's early. and We walked past Hard Rock, and the wait was an hour and a half. We're like, oh, well, let's – keep checking and then we still we you know we we knew what was down the next block and we were just going to work our way and the lines were out the door everywhere so i think everywhere is short-staffed right and tons of people heading towards the mall for the fireworks eating in that area it just we got caught up in a perfect storm that night but we did get our pizza and it was excellent
0: That's great to hear. Yes. My usual recommendation for food is that if you want to eat at sit-down restaurants, especially the Michelin-starred, award-winning restaurants, you definitely need to get reservations for those early. If you want to eat at the places where I typically eat, which are the and pizzas of the world, the fast, casual places where you can just walk in, the trick is that if they're in a businessy area, they might not be open on the weekend and even more so on a holiday weekend.
1: Yeah, it was it was an interesting mix. And, you know, we did eat at Cheesecake Factory one day, but it was also two o'clock in the afternoon. But it was great. We got to walk in, basically have the place to ourselves because it was off hours. This is something that we do a lot when we travel is eat off peak hours, too, when we can, because we thought we were off peak hours by five o'clock on the dot. But that was wrong.
0: I try to do that, too. My two trip hacks from my own travels are that I try to avoid eating lunch at noon and dinner at seven, and I try to make lunch my biggest meal and dinner a lighter meal. It's usually a little easier to navigate that way.
1: Yes, yes, it is. That's great advice. We do that at Disney. We try to do it whenever we travel. So we just struggled with our location. And then, of course, we have kids. So we have three different opinions on what they did and didn't want to eat. And then inevitably what they decided they wanted wasn't available. Of course.
0: It is tricky when you have differing opinions in the group. Okay. So I want to get into the nitty gritty of your planning process. If you don't mind, what kind of tools do you use when you're planning a trip? Are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Do you like spreadsheets or apps or anything else that you might use?
1: I'm a pen and paper to start with. Um, and then I'll put it in notes on the old phone. And that way my wife can see the note as well. We can both access it and modify it. Um, but that's after I kind of sketch out the calendar. Sometimes I print a little paper calendar and fill it in. And then I also use an app called TripIt. You just forward your emails that you get your confirmation emails right to it. So it keeps track of your flights, your hotel, anything else, um, some of the emails do work some of them don't work so it knew when our soccer game was but all the smithsonian tickets it was like yeah we don't know what this is we're gonna file it over here type of thing but that's an app that i use to keep track of all of those reservation numbers type of stuff then of course youtube i watch lots of youtube concerning amount that's one of your
0: learning resources do you have other learning resources you like or do the travel videos do it best for you
1: I, you know, I kind of, I start with the travel videos. Um, I really do like that because you get to see some things. One other thing that I do is I spend a um, concerning amount of time on Google maps and street views, especially when you're planning on walking your children from a hotel to another location you can do that street view and see like what you're getting yourself into. So I did that a lot in DC and that's kind of why we decided sometimes it's like, eh, it's best just to take a lift. So like when we uh, did your tour, it started at uh, Jefferson Memorial and definitely not an easy walk from where we were staying. So we took a lift um, cause it was going to get us right there and the fastest, most efficient. It was July 3rd in the morning, you know, the, was not a shortage of cars there was zero traffic so it was quick and easy you know the metro would have taken us way up we would have had to you know get a bu- the circulator bus probably would have been the best public transit we could have done but the lift by the time you add four kit five people's fare to everything sometimes the lift is just easier
0: i totally get that Everything multiplies out by the number of people in your group and definitely changes the calculation compared to if you're traveling solo. One thing I'm curious about is if you found any of the videos you watched were out of date or no longer relevant because they were made prior to 2020.
1: Well, the the dining ones mostly, but I believe you did an updated dining one that said don't watch the old ones. Um, still watch the old ones because I'm a sucker. I mean, you have to be aware that times are different right like if you're shocked by the hours being different or mass being required somewhere then i don't know where you've been living the last 16 18 months however long we've been dealing with it but you know it i feel like even the older videos i did get a lot out of um planning for this trip um i don't think they're I, I wouldn't say anything before 2020 you can't watch. I want to say that I watch plenty and still learn, but you have to realize what's changed and especially the restaurant industry, probably the most affected with something like that pizza place right next to us. Just it's gone. It's shuttered. It did not survive. So that sort of thing is the biggest deal, but otherwise learned a lot. Now, like if you're watching a really old video about the Metro and the ticket process, well, that's on you for not really as you're watching something from like, I don't know, 2010. I mean, the the current card that you just tap and go is phenomenal. And it's really cheap. The buy-in price to your card in D.C., cheapest one, $2. That's awesome. Like London, it's five pounds for an Oyster card. So bravo, Washington, D.C., bravo. The reason I'm
0: curious is that A couple years ago, I found two Washington, D.C. travel guides at a used bookstore from 1999, so they were 20 years old at that point, and I was really curious, if I picked this up today and read it, would it be completely useless? And it turns out that the chapters on the Monuments Memorials were just as good as they were back then, at least the ones that existed in 1999, as not all of them on my tour were even around back then. And then you get into the restaurant chapters, and it's completely useless. One of the neighborhoods, I counted, of the 20 restaurants the book recommended, only two of them are still around at all. And they're not the two that most people would probably recommend nowadays. So if you relied on that book for dining information, you'd probably have a pretty rough time.
1: Yeah, you end up at McDonald's then.
0: You might have wound up at McDonald's for several of your meals. Now, 1999 is pre-9-11, and... The book said, for example, if you want to go inside the White House, just line up on 15th Street in the morning and get your tickets, which is how it used to be. And then after 9-11, it was never like that again. And I assume we're going to have a similar thing with COVID, where resources made pre-COVID aren't going to be great to use anymore.
1: Yeah, comparing it to 9-11, I think, is very accurate. And it's funny because our other visit was in the post-9-11 'Cause it lingered a long time. Travel of the impact from nine eleven. We went in it was two thousand four. And it was still well, this is different because of nine eleven, like being said, and while we were there, the terrorist threat level changed from like yellow to orange. I don't remember all the colors. I mean every day on the news, the color was changing, right? And so we had planned to go to the mint that day or the national treasury or something, but because the threat level changed, everything we had left on our plan for that last day of our trip was closed. So that was, that was pretty crazy. So we ended up just, um, I don't even calling. We had to, you know, use a phone and dial numbers. And we, we had a friend that lived out there, um, that we did quite a bit with on that trip, different friend than we did on this trip. But, um, Yeah. So we ended up hanging out with my my friend's wife for most of that day. And we went to Mount Vernon because the threat level didn't affect Virginia, just, you know, DC Metro. So I'm curious,
0: was there anything that you enjoyed more than you were expecting when you planned out your trip?
1: So the, the tour was phenomenal. I had high expectations though. I'm not going to lie, Rob. Uh, So it, it, it was right up there and matched what I was expecting, which, you know, I enjoyed that immensely. I think that was the highlight for me. <laughs> the listeners are going to gonna think we're in cahoots here. Not trying to suck up or anything, but your your tour was great. You kept my kids engaged. Uh, going into it, my wife was worried it was going to be like way too much trivia, and it wasn't. It was just the right amount. Um, so that was great. But it, you know, I wasn't surprised that I liked that. I I enjoy local guides and. I'd watched enough of your videos to know you're knowledgeable. So I can't say I was you know, surprised more than I expected, but I think there was two things I enjoyed more than I expected. One was the empty Metro because it was a holiday weekend with few tourists and nobody staying in the area we were. I mean, we rarely sat in the same car with somebody on the Metro. Like on the morning of the 5th, we rode all the way to Reston in our own car. It was no one even looked at us. It was great. That's an hour basically on a train by ourselves. That was I like that? And then the other thing, and that that's just because of the weekend it was. And the other thing I enjoyed a lot more than I expected was the actual fireworks. I am not a huge firework fan, but you know it was really good. We were way back by the Capitol. We were not close by any definition. We stayed out of the mass of humanity. Um and some some guy brought a you know a bluetooth speaker played his own soundtrack danced the whole time at first i thought this guy's going to drive me insane but he you know he played Katy Perry's fireworks to start it off so it was all good um uh, it was entertaining it was definitely an experience that myself and my children will not forget was the fireworks on the national mall It was just just great. And then we even have it recorded from PBS and be like, ah, we were there, you know, type of thing.
0: That's great to hear. I always get a little disappointed when I hear people say that they didn't go to the fireworks because they heard that it's crowded or they didn't want to deal with it. I mean, it's once a year, so it's an opportunity that if you can take an opportunity, I think you should. Now, before we wrap up, I want to try to tie everything back together. I think a few of the most important bullet points that we can take away from your trip planning process, Doug, is first, do your research. You obviously watched a ton of TripHacks DC videos, you poked around on Google Street View, and you really came prepared. I think some people assume that DC is just like any other American city and you can just show up and be fine and then they get caught really off guard buy a lot of things that they weren't expecting. The second thing is design your itinerary with a mix of serious historical sites and casual fun. And I think you did that really well. And third is to give yourself plenty of time. Probably the first thing you're gonna do planning-wise after you decide you wanna come to Washington DC is pick for how many days. Even with five days, there was still a ton that you didn't do, so trying to cram things into a shorter time frame is often a mistake. Okay, now Doug, what skill from planning all the Disney trips over the years do you think translated best into planning your Washington, D.C. trip?
1: So, other than planning ahead, right? I think the skill that you take from actually traveling, we go, we have annual passes, we go regularly. It's my wife's job to know Disney inside and out. But I think being able to call an Audible and have a plan B ready when something's not working, time's not matching up. It took longer to get here or too fast to get there. You're done quicker. Having that plan B in the back of your head, I think is a skill that we always have to have at Disney, especially when we're showing other people around. Um, So that was something that came into effect several times in DC. Um, You know, like their last night, my wife spent forever looking for a restaurant we were gonna eat at near the, you know, we wanted to go walk past the uh, Supreme Court and the Library of Congress just to see it on the way to this restaurant. We we're gonna eat a nice meal, call it a call it a night. I mean, she did everything except call them to confirm they were open. And we get there and they were not open. So then our plan B, which we had to like, well, we're not that far from Union Station food's definitely going to be open in the train station. So then we pivoted there and then we ended up at McDonald's again, but you know, (laughs) we could have gotten there and just shut down, but that being able to pivot, I think is an important travel skill.
0: Well, Doug, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast, sharing your expert knowledge as a trip planner and some of the things you learned from your recent DC trip. I'm going to leave links to Rope Drop Radio, the podcast that you co-host, in the show notes. But where else can folks follow along and keep up with you?
1: Well, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. You can follow our adventures on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Rope Drop Radio. That's a rope and then drop and radio. It's The opening of Disney Parks is called Rope Drop. That's where that comes from. And then um, I have a cruise coming up, hopefully, uh, well, or past tense. I'll be on a cruise maybe when this is out, when you're listening. And then of course, Disney world turns 50 on October 1st. So we're going to head down for that. Thanksgiving will probably be back at Disney or maybe on a cruise again, who knows at this time. And then next summer, we're looking at Greece and Italy and that sort of stuff. So we definitely try to get out there and do other things. And, um, you know, in the past, we, we're not afraid of a road trip and we go to lots of national parks. So I imagine we'll end up at a national park at some point in 2022. But hard to say which one and where and when.
0: Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.